you know, life happens and I felt so at home there, but then I just, I, I felt the need that I had to, uh, get out and, and pursue some other options. Sure. And I've, I get I, it. I've tried to listen to those feelings, um, more and more in my life. And because when I do usually good things happen. And, uh, so I left and about 10 days after I left another massive eruption happened and, uh, large part of my social circle lost everything they had to the lava and were just like scattered to the four corners of the earth. And, uh, yeah, wild, man. We, we knew it could happen. You know, we knew where we lived and Pele, the, the volcano goddess just saw fit to redistribute the concentrated awesomeness that had collected to uh, different parts of the planet. This is the Farm Hop Life Podcast, a traveling homestead family. I'm Matt DeRocher. Today, my guest is Exo Agriculture on Twitter, aka Scott Thompson of Little Pine Farm in Pine, Colorado at 8,400 feet. How are you doing, Scott? Uh, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. So, um, interesting Twitter handle. Let's start there because it's... So it's Exo Agriculture. I think we can get into that a little bit, but it, your the your name is Martian Farmer, and you you sent me a message the other day because uh, we were just going like a little bit back and forth before this, and you said I want to go to Mars or at least create ag systems for off world. Always wanted to end up deep high uh, deep desert or high mountain. So let's start there. What all right that is. That's a very ambitious goal, man. So t- tell me about it. Um, well, you know, first of all, I have a very realistic outlook on that goal. Um, I'm not planning on going to Mars, but, uh, uh, you know, if the opportunity arose for a one-way trip, uh, I've already made my decision. So uh, there's something very interesting to me. I think ever since I saw the Polly Shore movie Biodome, where they're, like, locked in the... Uh, the closed loop system. Was there. that in the eighties? Um, nineties, I think nineties. Okay. Early, early nineties. Um, does not hold up very well, but, uh, it was, <laughs> time. um, this idea of like closed loop systems where you need to absolutely minimize waste because you have no additional inputs available, uh, was very, very exciting to me. And, you know, I was always into nature and science and uh, just the idea of building like a, a perfect little self-sustaining system. Um, you know, there's that English gardener guy who built this ecosystem in a sealed bottle and it's been sealed since like the 70s or something. Oh, and it's right. just yeah. thriving. It's just uh, packed with green and has created its own soil and its own climate and everything. And, um, and I think in developing these systems, as we move off world, it will help people uh, understand that Earth is a closed loop system right now. Um, it doesn't have to stay that way. But, uh, you know, people often just think we have like endless space and endless resources. And, you know, if, if they look at uh, sub 
sub-Aryan uh, Martian habitat uh, and see, oh, that's so cool. They have to like make their own air. Guess what? We have to do that on Earth too. <laughs> um, right. So it's, it's just it's on just easy mode been, right now. Yeah. Uh, I very much see uh, off-world colonization and resource acquisition um, no differently really than like our ancestors putting on animal skins so they can live farther north. You know, we've always used the tools we have to expand our reach. Sure. And if we're going to continue this technological civilization, we got to start getting resources from up there and protecting ourselves from, you know, civilization ending impacts at the same time as we, as we develop that technology. So it's sustainability. That's permaculture. We got to stop these rocks hitting us. There you go. Yeah. So, so here's a here's a question I didn't prepare you for. Okay. Who's who's your favorite billionaire? Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, or Bill Gates? <laughs> um, I think to put Musk in the company of the other two is to grossly misunderstand him and kind of accept a narrative about him. Um, what do you mean by that? I, I think, you know, people have this idea of like lumping all billionaires together in this like evil category. And, and I truly think Musk is, uh, his alignment is chaotic good. Um, I think he truly does have the best interests of the species um, at the core of his work. And yeah, um, some people disagree with that and say, oh, no, he's just in it for the money like all the others. But uh, I don't know. He seems to be the only person on like the global stage who's presenting an optimistic view of like the future of humanity. Um, you know, he's the only one like on that level who's encouraging us to go farther and, and reach farther than we've ever gone before and you know become multi-planetary and we're going to learn sure. a lot of really valuable stuff along the way do you think he's kind of like the um steve jobs of space travel or something like that like kind of like pushing the limits and then everyone else is trying to like catch up to what he's doing because I... I mean, it's clear that SpaceX, you know, and SpaceX is much more than just him, of course. Uh, although he is the lead engineer on the Starship program, uh, which kind of builds everything that comes next for our species. Um, is no, he I an think, engineer? Yeah, uh, self-taught. I think. Uh, okay. I think his degree was in software. Um, I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a biographer, but. Uh, I was just gonna say, like, is was um, was like Steve Jobs ever really like an engineer, or did, was he just like, you know, come like the idea guy and somehow, yeah, I like, think like make it work. I, make, what about this? Make it work. What yeah, about this? yeah, work. and I think with Musk, it's it's more the managerial brilliance, probably, um, and the ability to bring that that kind of core mission to life. That that mission being um, you know, propagation of the species down here and expansion of the species off world. Um, yeah, man, I think it's, I think it's exciting and important to, you know, have these visionaries who 
really push the envelope. And, uh, you know, regardless of their motive, I'm, I'm grateful for the people doing it. Um, I got a lot of whatever, you know, people have their own opinions about all of this, but, you know, the fact is Amazon is developing some revolutionary like automation and logistical technologies um, that have the potential to to really have a dramatic impact on our 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 whole species over the next century or so. And sure. So that's great, you know, and he seems to be doing it more for the fun of of being rich and powerful and whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I try and shop local when I can and, you know, just do what I can with what I have. Fair enough. Um, so I'm assuming you saw the movie, the Martian with, uh, Matt Damon. Oh yeah. Yeah. So what do you, Read what do you think book. about that? Okay. So I heard the book was like, had, you know, 10 times more math than the movie and like yeah. way more detailed and, it is what very not, much, I love like hard sci-fi like that, um, where there's nothing like that is really like technologically out of the question um, happening. But that said, I think the whole scenario is like a good presentation of a really like half-assed government version of going to Mars. Um you know, Elon Musk is talking about landing a million tons on the surface uh, in order to to build a self-sustaining colony. Hmm. Um, and, you know, that is is so much bigger from like the starting point than any vision that, you know, any any official at nasa has had not that has had i'm sure some of them have dreamed of this but uh you know not on this scale in their lifetime um on the government side of things whoa sorry that's all right um so what would you say to the people that are like why are we trying to colonize mars and grow food on mars when we have you know a million problems here on earth let's dedicate mm -hmm. resources to like fixing my the problem favorite here. question i'm glad because I, I didn't prep you for this question either um so what would you say to those people like why go up when um, we have to i would say the entire down oh sorry you broke up there but i got it uh yep. i would say you know the entire purpose of society of civilization is it allows for specialization um, it allows some people to focus on some things while other people do other things. And, um, you know, I want to grow food. That's, that's how I want to fit into the world. And, uh, you know, some people want to retreat into like theoretical mathematics and I want to grow food for that guy. Cause you know, his work and his thought might pay off 50 years down the road or whatever. Sure. Um, but if we waited for all of our problems to be solved before taking the next step, like we would still be using hand axes and living in caves. Um, <laughs> that's just not how it works. And I think it's a very, very wise investment to 
take just a little tiny, tiny fraction of the entire planet's wealth and resources and and start looking at things on a, a 500 year time scale. Um, recently, we're, we're becoming much more aware of how frequent major cosmic impacts are on this planet. And our planet is so living and vibrant that it tends to wash away a lot of the evidence pretty quickly. But, uh, you know, there's there's just no way that species survives here without the technology to, you know, protect us from up there. And, you know, I think we do need a space force. I just don't think they should be looking down at our enemies. It should be looking up and starting to track all of these objects in our solar system. Um, and you look at, there's a lot of breakdowns online of like, for every dollar that NASA has spent, we've gotten like X dollars of, of value. I think it was six. I think yeah. it's, I was going to ask you about that. Cause I heard that figure. It was like for every dollar and, in, you get six back. And you got to think that that's NASA. That's like. That's like the most wasteful way of doing space <laughs> these days. Like not to badmouth yeah. them. I love NASA. Like I, I, I hope, to start I somewhere, want to I guess. Them, yeah. I want to see them continue doing science and, and stuff like that. But uh, as far as launchers go, like they are just dinosaurs and so incredibly wasteful. But uh, you know, even with all that waste it was a significant return on investment. And the materials science and the medical science and everything else that's come out of that has been really valuable. Uh, and so I think it's all a matter of perspective. And if you can step back and kind of see the bigger picture uh, of the species, that's kind of why I got into like permaculture and regenerative agriculture is because I started being able to think more on like a hundred years time scale or 500 sure. years time scale. And, like not only what we're doing today, but how does that impact like, you know, how the next generation is going to live on the planet and things like that. So let's go into that a little bit more then. Um, mm -hmm. so how, so with that mindset, how did you get started homesteading? Oh man, it's been such a like long, strange trip. <laughs> uh, basically, well, my family, it starts there. You know, my mom loved gardening and she cooked almost every single meal for our entire family that we ever ate. So you have food a big and growing. Uh, I am the fourth of five kids. Decent, um, grew, grew up Mormon in the Salt Lake Valley in Utah. Um, Only and, five then. Hmm, what a disappointment. Yeah, it was very average. Um, but yeah, you know, from my mom, I got that love of like being intensely involved with what I ate as well as a, a really passionate love of reading. Um, I consider those to be like the greatest gifts that she gave to me. Uh, my dad, you know, raised us on the best music of all time and, uh, took us out into the wilderness like you know at least a couple of times a month pretty much well, don't leave us hanging what's the best music childhood. of all time <laughs> well i mean up to that point you know uh i think the best music of all time is is being made right now but uh he raised us on like rolling stones and paul okay. simon and uh everything back to like uh 
oh, what am I, like Buddy Holly and like those early Everly Brothers, like harmony groups and stuff like that. All the way through the Stones and Bob Dylan and a bunch of great 70s stuff. And so that was cool. And we'd be driving, you know, five, six hours into the desert every other weekend or whatever. And uh, it was great. Just that exposure and connection to nature and like different vibrations and stuff would have a huge impact. And then my brother's later in life teaching me how to dance and like let go. (laughs) Um, but, uh, you know, after college, I was like fat and depressed. Um, and I just knew I needed to make a change. Uh, I was sitting all day long and eating a bunch of carbs and processed foods and going out to lunch with my coworkers at fast food joints. And uh, I hit like 278 was my heaviest weight. Um, and I'm six, five. So like I carry that pretty well. I was okay. fit. I was fit fat. I could like walk up a mountain <laughs> on the weekends or whatever, fat, but you that. know, I, I got sick a couple of times a year and I had problems with my knees and, uh, so yeah, the biggest thing was just like changing my diet. I stopped going to the convenience store. I stopped going out to eat and lost like the first like 70 or so pounds that way. Just that. Um, wow. Yeah. Just that, like still at the office job and, you know, not even really changing that much lifestyle stuff, just the diet. And then, you know, by the time I got into farming, I got down. So I lost the total of like 102 pounds from my heaviest to my lightest, um, Dang, which was dude, too, good for you. which was too much. Um, that was when I had gotten to Hawaii and I, I shot my first pig and I, gained the 20 pounds I overshot by in like two weeks. It was great. (laughs) Um, That's sweet. So anyway, you know, I'm sitting there at the desk in this cubicle under the fluorescent lights uh, for four years after college. And I was listening to all this music about like being true to yourself and taking to the road and like living your dreams and shit. And, it's like, I can't sit here and listen to this and like not do anything. Um, so I started looking for jobs, looking for farm gigs. Um, I knew I wanted to be outside. I knew I wanted to be growing food. I entertained the idea of like building a tiny house and being a traveling herbalist or something. Sure. Um, but I'm a farmer, man. I want to, I, the dream was always to be somewhere where I can plant a fruit tree and still be there. Like when that fruit tree starts producing and feeding me and uh, I haven't managed that yet, (laughs) but uh, this is the place for sure uh, where I am now. Um, So I found an internship. Uh, I applied to four or five, but uh, I had a phone interview for the one I wanted the most. It was a pasture-based livestock operation, Pennsylvania. Mm. And, uh, like kind of based on like Joel Salatin type models. Mm. And, uh, I had a phone interview with them and I felt like it went really great. And I was super grateful that they would consider somebody so far away. Right. Uh, I was in Salt Lake city at the time and I was so stoked on it. I quit my job the next morning. Um, I gave just off notice. the phone call. 
Yeah, I gave my, so I gave my notice the next morning, and the day after that, uh, they called me back and offered me the job, nice. uh, which was awesome. It was room and board and like two hundred bucks a week, um, but it was brutal. You know, it was like ten hour days most of the time. I was the only one on the farm, um, and that's like ten working hours spread over fourteen or fifteen hours, really. Sure. Uh, because you got morning stuff and evening stuff and whatever. But that was great. I learned a lot. I learned that I don't want to be anywhere near the East Coast. Uh, people over there have a different speed, man. It's like always so crazy and so driven and hectic. And oh, okay. I just I just want to slow down. Um, <laughs> so I went west. Uh, I moved out to California. Um where I had some family and friends up north, like in the Grass Valley area. And I worked for a bunch of people up there, um, just kind of doing all sorts of stuff, but a lot of cannabis industry work, um, which was really great. I learned a lot about uh, horticulture. and, um, But, you know, I also learned I don't want to do that for a living <laughs> on any commercial scale because it's hard work to grow worthwhile product um sure but it was awesome and i learned a lot and then i found my way out to hawaii i spent a total of like three years on a little homestead out there that's uh, and it was really cool like you had you know the whole shebang a big huge catchment pond and a solar system a big solar array and um so it was way off grid but with all the amenities and I lived, I converted this little donkey shack uh, into a little three-walled house for myself. And there you go. And then, and that's where I learned the most. Um, the guy who owned that place, he was my guru. That's where all my most important farming lessons came from. Uh, it was the first time I like felt at home somewhere since like leaving my childhood home after high school. Um, wow. Yeah, it was, it was an amazing place and a very difficult place to grow food um out on the eastern tip of the big island you know that earth is so like new geologically speaking that there's no topsoil out there and, oh i can see that yep yep and all the water just goes straight through um into the ground because it's all super porous uh volcanic rock right um so it's pretty tricky uh it's hard to get biomass out there that's a huge issue and like that's the number one issue really it's like oh i want to grow food where are you getting your mulch that's number one um so it was you know it was hard a lot of people think oh lush jungle just walk in and grab food <laughs> like no that's not even close so then is it a lot of chop and drop then just to keep uh to Tons. build up that okay yeah uh like this guy had been managing 20 acres of cane grass uh which has a nice when it matures has a nice uh mix of kind of green and lignified material uh makes good mulch um and he had built up you know four or five inches of really nice topsoil in about 20 years um across the whole like 20 acre parcel and we just kind of wow, would have two acres in cultivation at any given time and well yeah small small areas of cultivation though like a couple of strips of trees and then a moving field with like taro and ginger and stuff in it 
But I mean, like, um, did you yeah, see four so to five was... inches across twenty acres? Yeah, over twenty yeah. years. That's still crazy. Yeah. Oh, it's huge. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and he always dreamt of having five hundred acres so that he could uh, run a big cattle operation. And um, we were both of the opinion that he would have built topsoil probably twice as quick uh, with more land and some uh, animal help. Sure. Definitely. I think I just heard recently um, Ben Falk had brought in some sheep recently. Like, you know, it's been about a year and he hasn't had sheep before. And that first year he had sheep did more for the soil than the Mm -hmm. previous seven years. So, yeah, I I believe that. It's crazy that people are thinking that we can build soil without animals. Like no. in any regard, like you, you have no idea what you're talking about. Like we've seen the results. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that first farm I worked in Pennsylvania, you know, they, those farmers bought a shale hillside like 30 years ago and, and just have converted it to like amazing lush pasture and silva pasture. Um, really, really cool. Just to like see the pictures of the place when they bought it compared to when I was there. Um, and even in the pasture, you can see the line where like last year's livestock or uh, last year's pastured chickens and turkeys were sure. um, because it's, it's night and day, like dark, super lush green versus, you know, more yellow green kind of natural. Struggling to make it. Yeah. Yeah. Really, gotcha. really amazing. Even on a, a single season basis. So cool. So then, so then from Hawaii, how did you get to where you are now? All right. So from Hawaii, that was wild, man. I was there for one of the recent lava flows. Um, I was there for a hurricane. Uh, it hit shore as a category one, like right where I lived. Uh, our structures we knew could hold on to it, could stand up to it. And we were, just outside the forest so no trees were going to fall on us or anything mm. so uh we just rode it out there it was wild I bet. um and then uh you know life happens and i felt so at home there but then i just i i felt the need that i had to uh get out and and pursue some other options sure. and i've I get I, it. i've tried to listen to those feelings um, more and more in my life and because when i do usually good things happen and uh so i left and about 10 days after i left another massive eruption happened and a large part of my social circle lost everything they had to the lava and were just like scattered to the four corners of the earth and uh yeah wild man we we knew it could happen you know we knew where we lived and pele the the volcano goddess just saw fit to redistribute the concentrated awesomeness that had collected there to uh different parts of the planet um so that was that? pretty crazy that was the 2018 okay lava flow in uh pahoa hawaii okay um yeah wild and then um i reconnected uh with my girlfriend and she took a job 
she's in finance. She took a job in San Diego. So I'm like, sure, why not? You know, my mom's from there. I grew up visiting there every year. And um, I found a sweet little nonprofit farm down there uh, where I worked for three years. I got to live on the farm. Um, but then during the pandemic, uh, as soon as she was allowed to go full time remote, um, we're like, that's it. We got to get off the coast, get out of California, uh, get back to the mountains. Um, and we have really you guys been it. like looking and talking about this beforehand or were you like green light go like, I don't care where let's go. No, we, you know, and I, I was going to mention later about the, the danger of being becoming too attached to plans and, sure. uh, there's this call it an article of faith if you will in the uh musical cult i belong to uh uh, and their their primary article of faith is uh the trick is to surrender to the flow and and i feel like the more i can just kind of you know keep working hard but surrender just take things as they come and do what i can with what's presented to me um, that's when things go best for me. So, uh, we had this kind of nebulous cloud of possibilities that we were kicking around for many years. Um, that included like, uh, Bonaire, you know, freaking desert islands out in the, in the Atlantic and, um, uh, you know, out in the desert somewhere along the border. I thought that could be cool. Uh, or, the mountains and uh for her job she needed to be within driving distance of an office so our options were atlanta or denver uh so here we are we're you know 45 minutes outside of denver which is awesome gives me great access to uh, a lot of materials and a lot of markets um but we're all the way up here at 8400 feet and it's quiet and it's clean and yeah it's it's awesome man two acres like perfect gentle slope uh sure. facing south just couldn't ask for a a better little spot so with your with your spot what motivates you to oh you broke up um sorry oh what, what, what motivates yeah what motivates you to grow your own food um you know, I mentioned the Mormon thing earlier. I, I grew up Mormon. Uh, I'm really grateful for that upbringing. And I learned a lot. Um, you know, they have a lot of emphasis on like food storage and self-reliance and, uh, you know, taking care of your family and your community and uh, and all of that stuff really stuck. Um, you know, the faith and and surrender to you know, things that aren't necessarily under your control. Um, and, and music, you know, my first like transcendent musical experiences were seeing the Mormon Tabernacle Choir live, like mm. in their purpose built building in Salt Lake City. And just like all of those voices, like vibrating to the core of your being with these powerful songs is, you know, that that's, I think where I fell in love with like live music and like being there and exposing yourself to the vibration. And, um, but you know, I, I was, 
in, in Mormonism, they send their young people out on the missions um, all over the world. Yeah. And I, I wasn't quite sure about that. Um, and I wasn't going to go because it was expected of me uh, by family or society or whatever. Um, so, you know, I used the tools that I had at the time, which were fasting and prayer and uh tools that i'm very grateful for and still use in my life today um and i i fasted for three days and i prayed i call it meditation now you know for this particular session several hours and and i had a very real profound experience and today i call it a psychedelic experience um on the natch or all natural. Um, but, you know, then with the vocabulary that I had at that point in my life, uh, it was definitely God telling me to go to Africa. And so I went to Africa, I went to Kenya on a Mormon mission and I was there for two years and I spent a good chunk <laughs> from uh, age, 19 to 21 um and i spent a good chunk of that time like out in the bush and that's crazy I had dude some of the like wildest experiences of my life um you know uh running over black mamba on my bike one of the deadliest snakes <laughs> in the world um i got struck by lightning and um whoa I, I how did how did it feel okay so really quick I'm an electrician. What's it feel like to get struck by lightning? Because I don't exactly like getting struck by like or zapped by 277 volts. 120, um, I don't really like that much, but 277. The only thing more. I can really compare it to is electric fences. Um, okay. Like if you touch a, an electric fence with a really strong like 8,000 joule pop on it. Sure. Um, like it'll kind of make your whole arm dead and like make you really you sore in the, the shoulder. Floor. And yeah. Um, okay. So I, I would describe it as maybe like double an 8K electric fence and impacting every cell of your body at once instead of the appendage that's touching the fence. Um, it was, I, I blacked out. I came to lying on the floor. Um, it was, Got eaten it, by it, a lion. It a crummy, no, it was a crummy building, and we, we had water. When it rained hard, water would come in the back door and out the front door across the concrete <laughs> floor. And so I was standing barefoot in water, filling up a pot in the sink. And, of course, that sink is connected to the metal water tank on the mm. roof. And that got hit, and I came to on my back in the water. And um, oh, so you had like the worst conditions to get struck by lightning because yeah. you're standing in the water. It was it was terrible, terrible pain. Um, I was very sore all over, and kind of ringing, and a, a mild burn on my hand. And um, yeah, it sucked, man. But <laughs> while I was out there, like I had all these amazing experiences. I met the happiest people that I had ever like come across in my entire life. These people who had nothing and were subsistence farmers and, you know, they had each other and they had their friends and they were just so happy. 
they were laughing together and coming together all the time to hang out and just talk and laugh and dance and listen to music and so cool i i had never experienced that I, you know i had grown up a lot of around a lot of miserable people who material speak materially speaking were very well off compared to these people um and so that was a really important like exposure for me of seeing these people living such like basic natural lives and and seeing just the joy that it brought and, and don't get me wrong you know that kind of hardship you know their life expectancy was hardly anything and they're you know they're these tiny people and they're, they're undernourished and um you know the tall ones are like five two uh and you know so it's you not like giant, i'm not man. trying to like paint some you know agricultural utopia or anything but sure you know it was a very important like moment for me at, at that time i had no idea that there was even a possibility of me like living outside and growing food because my concept of a farmer was my overweight uncle sitting on his tractor for 12 hours a day you know on the combine right and like that's what i thought of farming and that certainly is not the way i want to spend my time outside so yeah yeah um yeah so anyway you know i went to school uh went to college after that uh got a communications degree had some good experiences but ultimately you know i wish i would have gone for soil science or something um uh and then somewhere along the road uh some plant teachers came into my life uh cannabis and and magic mushrooms primarily um and i ate these mushrooms for the first time after like a year of research and like learning everything i can about it and uh i was 26 i think and uh i ate these mushrooms and we don't have to go through the whole like story but like ultimately i reached a point that was qualitatively exactly the same thing i had experienced when i was told to go to africa um by god um and and nobody will ever be able to tell me that those two experiences are uh, are like different it's it's the same thing i plugged into the, the same energy that i did when i was fasting and praying for three days um and you know everybody has their own path but uh I'm i was just gonna say it's like two using... roads to the same destination that's that's exactly how i see it yeah i'm i'm still perfectly comfortable using the vocabulary i grew up with there was a time before the mushrooms when that was not true. Um, but then once I was able to talk to God again, like, you know, most of my anxieties and especially any like existential crises I was feeling were, were totally resolved. And, uh, you know, future use really helped me. I, I believe like get on the path that is truest to me. Um, and it's been hard and scary you know quitting my corporate gig after college was like the most terrifying thing i've ever done uh 
you know, I, I saw the path ahead of me at that company and it was like, man, I could be running this place in 10 years. (laughs) Just like the talent that I was surrounded by, like some beautiful people, but it's like, why are you in that position? (laughs) Um, and you know, I would have been locked into some, you know, probably suburban Mormon life with the wife and kids by the time I was whatever. I've had a couple of wives, but yeah, your path was set. Like you knew exactly yeah, what it was exactly. going to look like if uh-huh. you kept at it. Yep. And and it. to quit all of that for uh, you know a few hundred bucks a month and an internship when I was already four plus years out of college. Um, and making decent money, like, you know, decent for an entry level position. Um, yeah, it was, it was scary, but you know, every scary step since then has been that much easier and, uh, yeah, man, just going with the flow. I got you. So let's, let's look at, let's look at your property that you have now. So yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to pull up your, your pictures here. Where are we? Here we are. So what, what methods or practices or techniques do you, uh, do you do on your property? And like, what are we, what are we looking at here? Okay. So we are looking Southwest here, um, from like the Northeast corner of my annual beds. Um, basically what we're going for uh especially as far as annuals um is like feeding ourselves and growing ingredients uh for value-added products um i definitely don't you know in my 11 years now of bouncing around small farms um i i've learned that what i don't want to do is be slinging fresh veg at the farmer's market every weekend um like everybody else yeah that way lies madness man and and that way lies like an 80 percent failure rate of small farms or whatever it is uh you know it's the numbers are not good and it's so hard to compete in you know with the big industrial models uh it's admirable that there that so many people who are competing against that uh on such a an uneven playing field But anyway, what we're going for here is annuals to feed us and then, you know, maybe expand to some local restaurant contacts or a a very, very tight CSA, but mostly be focusing on shippable products from perennial plants. Um, We want to do a lot of orchard plantings. There's a surprising number of fruits, uh, shrubs and trees that uh, do well in zones three and four. Um, and I'm zone 4A. Uh, so like most of the planted property we want as perennials. But um, anyway, where the disc golf basket is uh, on that diagonal there, that's where they put in the new leach field. Um, okay. When we bought the when we bought the place, they put in like a new, you know, government mandated state of the art septic system and. They're like, you can drink the water that comes out the leach field. I'm like, great. Where can I hook up a hose? Oh, no, you can't do that. Sorry. Um, Sorry, I dropped my headphones. It's all good. Um, 
so anyway, in putting in that leach field, they actually blocked the drainage to the entire property, uh, which was not so good. Um, let's see, do I have power to, no. Are you, can I change the picture? Yep, that's you. How are we doing that? Okay. I think you got to go to your other window. Oh, I'm still on and... full screen. Okay, I got it. Here we go. All right. Um, oh, there's. I, I've been leaving the uh, fallen trees down, and before the grass started coming back, the deer really enjoyed that. Nice. Uh, we're starting all our annuals inside right now. Our last average frost is May 19th, with good chance of like June frosts. Uh, so right. we're planning on doing most of our planting like that first week of June. Um, Broad Fork is my preferred tool. I definitely want I've to see people the use those. That's space. cool. Yeah, this is the uh, 30 inch model from Treadlight, which I really like. Um, and I've really done an abuse test on this tool and I broke one. Um, what? In like really well. It was conditions I should not have been using it in. The soil mm. was way too hard. It was compacted from heavy machinery from the uh, septic. Sure. Um, and I should have like wetted the whole area for a couple of days before I tried. But, uh, you know, I managed to, I'm a big guy and uh, I did quite a bit with it before I got a crack on one of the welds. And they're a great company. They sent me a replacement right away um with paid shipping hmm. to return the the cracked one and i've been using it all spring now and uh it's fantastic uh even in difficult you know mountain meadow turf like i'm dealing with i'm going to be fighting native grasses for a few years here um, <laughs> that's the first gift that the uh that i've gotten on the land why can't that's i awesome. see there was a little like toolbar where I could see all the thumbnails, but now I just kind of have to scroll. So here, um, again, just using what I have available. I got a free roll of opaque plastic online. Nice. Uh, so I'm kind of solarizing half of half of the beds and it's not getting hot enough to kill anything, but it is like really jump starting those grasses. Okay. So I'm going to give yeah. it like another week and then switch sides on the plastic and get in there and start really attacking the grass while I still have, you know, uh, at least a couple of weeks before, before planting time. Um, yeah, most of the orchard, I'm working on some cold frame boxes here. This little greenhouse, you know, came hey, with the property. Um, and I kind of have to, it didn't have enough panels with it. I'm working on that right now. Got some plastic mm -hmm. for the front side. Uh, I'm going to direct so into here this week. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, but that's what it looked like, you know, a month ago. I was going to say last night. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's actually my first winter in like 10 years because I've been in California and Hawaii. Oh, and, sure. Okay. Uh, but I'm I'm readjusting to the cold much better than I thought. I, I was a competitive skier as a kid, and I, I, like, the, I like the cold. I, like um, the cold. I think that's yeah, most of what I have. All right. Uh, basically, 
so they cut off the drainage of like the whole property with that reach field. And uh, so right now I'm working on building kind of a hugel berm. You've heard of hugel, hugel culture? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, where you, you know, get all the logs and branches and stuff underground and build a mound. Um, I'm kind of using something similar. I'm doing like a, a hoogle swale, uh, where I only dug down a little bit and I, I put down like a foot of wood chips. And then I've been building a big long pile of, uh, of branches, um, which are weathering nicely and compacting and, Soon I'm getting a small sh chipper shredder so I can top it with oh, nice. another load of chips. Um, and then I'll dig the, I'll dig the swale out in front of it and, uh, and cover it all with soil. And uh, that will all divert all of the property drainage over into the orchard, uh, which will be really nice. Have you taken uh, permaculture insider course? Um, I'm I'm more of a more of an autodidact. I need to just kind of teach myself things. Sure. Um, so I, I I would feel comfortable in teaching a permaculture course at this point. Uh, but no, I've never like actually taken a, a formal class. Sure. I was just curious if like yeah. you have that formal training because um, that seems to very be... well steeped in in all the principles and stuff for sure yeah i'm i like dabble in lots of little things but i don't like any i don't have you know two grand to go take like a uh intensive in-person one or yeah you know a very thorough online one um so i've just had to like well, pick up little bits and pieces so I, i'm like i'm not getting all the interconnections like much right. i get like little bits at a time not like oh i can see the whole puzzle now you know it's um i yeah, yeah. you know uh going back to a previous topic um there's this amazing little molecule uh called lsd and <laughs> And that really, it's the ultimate big picture. Um, it, it, in my experience, it, it puts all of creation before me and I'm free to zoom in on any part that I wish and uh, see how it fits with all the rest. And, uh, um, and, and for me personally, like there's also an aspect of like, I need to be there and I'm really grateful for all of my variety of experience. Mm -hmm. Um, because I'm able to kind of see like, oh, that guy did this one thing and this guy did something else. I bet if you brought those two ideas together, they would mesh really well. Um, so, you know, and, and all the while I was getting my hands on, you know, the the epic permaculture guide by Bill Mollison and, and the other guy. And, um, you know, I, I was doing a lot of book learning. That's I. I been an intense reader since i was like three years old and i haven't stopped um it's how we install new software up here there you go um so yeah you know i i did have a lot of book education but uh for me it's like being out in nature and experiencing all of the natural systems that then as a manager and a farmer i can then bring together and stack on top of each other and stuff like that 
Um, so what have you tried that has worked well that I, so I, it's kind of hard when you've only been at your property for a year. Um, yeah. But what's working so far, I guess. Um, you know, I really like, I got a couple of those beds, um, kind of prepped and composted and under mulch in the fall. Uh, and those are looking really good. Like I, I broad forked it and, and then I got the big heavy hoe out and kind of chopped up the chunks and raked in three plus inches of compost. Um, and then covered all of that, uh, with the wood chips and the soil is looking amazing. Uh, my pH is a little high cause I'm on decomposed granite, like mm. nothing but decomposed granite. <laughs> Uh, but the best amendment for that is pine mulch and I have unlimited supply of pine mulch. Um, I'll probably have to turn to some more drastic measures to get the pH down to where I need it this season. Um, I think I'm at like, I, I got to do some more, uh, accurate testing, but, uh, I think right now I'm at like seven and a half or even a little higher. So, mm. uh, I want to get that down. Like six and a half would be nice sure so yeah um but you know what i've seen working well in my 11 years bouncing around small farms and and manning market stalls and and all that uh the biggest thing for me and something we're trying to do here uh if there's any farmers looking for a home out there um hit me up because uh i'm a big believer in the multi-family operation um especially if there's going to be any animals involved it's so difficult if it's like just your family unit you can't go anywhere because those animals need you every single day um so we're actually in the process of like converting the garage into another unit mm. um in order to hopefully tempt a uh, a business partner out definitely don't want an employee or or an intern or anything like that. You know, I'm looking for a business partner. Um, somebody who's got something to bring to the table and uh, some experience behind them and things like that. But, uh, you know, that will enable us to, you know, take off for a week and go catch some concerts or, you know, go down to the beach for a couple of weeks in Mexico and hang with my family down there and, and knowing that the animals are fine and the worms are fine and whatever. So that's really big. Um, the no fresh veggies at the market thing. Like I know some people love that and I'm grateful for them because I do buy from them. Um, but that's not for me. Uh, I could definitely see like contracting with a couple of local restaurants or doing a, a, a very tight CSA as part of the operation. But uh, fresh veg is such a grind. It, it, it's hard. Right um so that brings me to like value-added products you know why charge two bucks for organic cabbage when you can charge eight bucks a pound for organic sauerkraut that kind of thing um yeah shelf, shelf stable stuff shippable stuff don't limit yourself to you know i, I want to focus a lot on some local markets but i also want products that i can that i can hustle online and like ship stuff to people definitely um, are, 
Are you planning on getting any livestock soon? Yeah, we're getting uh, some chickens and turkeys uh, probably nice. by the end of this week. Um, I converted. What breed? Uh, it's a big mix. Um, I actually have a friend who's got a mature flock, a mature laying flock that he's just going to give me. Um, okay, laying Okay. Yeah, and so most of the chickens are not yet two years old, and I think uh, the turkeys are approximately the same age. Okay. So it'll be nice to kind of get started with some birds that are already laying. I'm looking forward to that. I would like to uh, maybe two years out uh, start doing a couple of hogs a year. Um, and, you know, a few dozen uh, pastured poultry chickens a year as well. Sure. Uh, I have a little space inside the fence that I'm going to kind of dedicate to uh, a pasture space small pasture space um mountain meadow is more accurate than mountain pasture meadow. sure uh yeah and just run some like salad and style chicken pens uh across that for like one or two cycles a year i was gonna ask what um what are you gonna do for like predator protection um we're pretty close to the highway which is nice um but yeah, we got bears, we got foxes, um, we got lynx, um, bobcat, maybe not lynx, uh, bobcat for sure. Uh, so I, I'm putting up a six foot perimeter fence kind of around the whole phase one operation. Um, and then like the chicken's primary area, uh, their primary yard has a roof on it, like a six foot fence with a chicken wire across the top okay. of it. Um, and then like most of their kind of roaming time will either be, uh, in the orchard space granted there's, you know, we'll just have some of the smaller existing ponderosas in that until we get it planted out, uh, with fruit, but I'll also have like some tunnels, some movable tunnels for them to, to target them on other places and keep them protected. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then go out and close up the chicken coop uh, by hand with a, a nice beefy lock every night. Um, I actually built the coop into half of a tough shed that was already on the property when we bought it. Nice. That's um, convenient. Yeah, I did the whole remodel with uh, just kind of lumber scraps that were already here. Um, uh, it's aside from like a clearance price box of screws. Uh, I don't think I've actually spent a dollar on the uh, on the whole chicken coop. Nice, so that's pretty love cool. Love that. So, what? Given you know, again your your limited time at your your current homestead, what what has failed or hasn't worked yet? And if you know you're coming up short because like, well, I haven't tried much. What have like where have you been? that has failed, you know, Hawaii, Pennsylvania, um, any of Mm -hmm. those. Um, yeah, like, yeah, I definitely haven't really had time to fail here yet, but, uh, um, I'm sure there will be, I'm sure there will be, uh, many instances in the years to come as we figure things out, uh, on such a difficult piece of land. But, uh, you know, a couple, I, I guess I already mentioned the single families with livestock thing is just so difficult and so mm-hmm. demoralizing. And it's like, 
hey, you know, the neighborhood's having this big party tonight. And it's like, oh, yeah, but then I have to come home at this hour and put the chickens away and make sure the pigs are good and whatever. Yeah. And it, it's just such a drag. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in community, building community, working together. Yeah. Um, I think putting a single family unit on like especially some of these bigger suburban lots where they get to be like a half acre to two acres and stuff is is just an incredible waste of space um and a missed opportunity to to build you know that uh non-nuclear aspect to the family um which i think is just as important as as you know the blood family yeah uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. Uh we I tried this uh tried a restaurant scrap program once in California to kind of cut down on the uh feed bill for the pastured poultry and stuff. And it ended up having so much garbage in it and like it, it, you know, we lost several chickens like choking on bits of trash that we couldn't find oh, that we geez. didn't that we didn't catch. Uh, a toothpick or a bit of skewer or a, a half and half cup or, or whatever. Um, so that didn't really work. Um, you really have to have the the kitchen staff fully on board with something like that for it to work. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I, I don't know. You know, I, the the struggles that i've encountered so many of them haven't really been mine because it wasn't my place i was just kind of a a hired gun so i was able to learn without uh without all the uh, consequences that i mean that's life. fair but i guess it could it could lead us to so with all your experiences at other places what's been the biggest challenge in farming or homesteading that you faced like even though you didn't have to <laughs> suffer Right, personally. right. Um, you know, for me, just like the most personally challenging thing was uh, using my time and my body to build something that I didn't have a stake in. Mm. Um, you know, even a even a partial ownership, and that's and that's why I said earlier I don't want an employee. I want I want a partner. I I only want to work with people who. Uh, have a stake in what we're building. Um, that makes sense. It, yeah. And uh, so it was really difficult. You know, all I wanted was to plant a tree and be there to eat from it like 10 years later. And uh, just the way property is right now in our world, it just makes it so difficult for so many young farmers to uh you know, there's so much knowledge and so much passion and so many people like ready to go and they just don't have anywhere to do it. Um, right. And if you do find somewhere, it most likely belongs to somebody else. And, oh, you know, the market's really great. So we're actually going to sell this now that you've put two or three years into it. And it's like, oh, yeah. awesome. All right. I guess I'll start over again. Um, so I've gotten very good at starting over. That was the biggest challenge, though, like. You know, I have some back issues and stuff and like 
just pushing so hard to go 40 hours a week for somebody else. Even when I was working on a nonprofit that I really believed in, you know, I still wasn't free to enact my own ideas. And I, you know, everything still had to be decided by committee. And like, uh, my brain doesn't work like that, man. Mm -mm. It's like, well, the committee people are talking. I want to be outside doing stuff. And Right. I want to talk to one person. Yeah or nay? Let's go. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I guess that's pretty much it in Hawaii. It was biomass, just like getting enough mulch, um, was such a constant challenge, even with how fast things grow. It's like, man, it all just gets washed away so quickly that, uh, it's really tough. Right. I guess that's so, all I can. I'm, I'm assuming that eating the fruits of your labor would be the best part about homesteading in your. Oh yeah. Okay. That, that apple or that, whatever you're growing, you know, to take that first bite. Like I grew this five years ago. Yeah. I can't wait for that moment, man. That'd be great. Just buy one. That's already got like producing fruit and then throw it in the ground. <laughs> yeah. Fast no, track um, that. We're definitely, we're definitely on a shoestring budget, um, but you, we're, we're going to try to have a few thousand bucks for orchard planting next year and, uh, you know, try and get a bunch of like three and four year old trees and whatever we can afford. Right. Uh, eventually I'd like to have a sizable nursery operation where I'm, I'm the crazy. one selling grafted fruit trees and stuff. Um, cause they can go for a lot of money. Like that. You know, it's not unusual to see a grafted apple specific for these zones going for over a hundred bucks. Um, wow. Like 65 is like a base price. Um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. So I, I'd really like to get into that part. You know, the, the growing your own food thing is just, it's the most liberating thing I've ever experienced. Um, back when, I, I found my plant teachers and did a lot of extended solo thinking, um, you know, and thinking about how I can impact the world and what I want to do with my life. Um, it seemed to always come back to food and, you know, we are what we eat and whoever controls our food is our master. And, uh, my my political evolution along the same time period is like it's like oh it's so obvious why they want more and more centralized food systems because then they have power over it despite mm -hmm. the fact that that those systems are much less resilient and and we're much more at risk to them one little wrench in the gears um can can make life very very difficult for a lot of people which i think is just around the corner right now um, and, you know, so for me, it's always been, uh, like an issue of freedom and security and, um, you know, just rational self-interest, like uh, looking at it as selfishly as I can, I want to be in a fulfilled, healthy, like educated community. And so it would be very selfish of me to, 
you know, have free education programs that help people grow their own food and welcome homeschooling groups onto the property. And um, I, I do all of that out of, you know, self-interest because that's the, the kind of community I want to live in. And I want, if, if my community can't feed itself, at least, you know, for the most part, um, that's a giant problem for me. And uh, Definitely. Yeah. so that's why I've kind of turned that way. I think there's going to be, a, you know, the biggest boom in gardening um, the next two years that we've seen since like World War II and like I Freedom agree. Gardens and all that. So I'm also trying to position myself to be in a position of like, uh, you know, with in Northern California, I learned a lot about the gold rush and then the green rush, um, the, the cannabis industry. Um, the ones who were most consistently getting rich were not the miners or the farmers, but the guys selling the shovels and the nutrients and yeah, I, <laughs> all yeah. that. So, uh, so, you know, I want to really focus heavily on, you know, nursery operations, uh, an extensive like worm casting, commercial worm casting operation. Um, and, and try to make the farm a, a community hub where people can come and take in a, a workshop for free. And, you know, while they're here, yeah, there'll be some, some goodies for them to buy if they want to, but right. um, keeping the knowledge free, the content free uh, is a big part of, of who I am. Um, can't stop the signal. Information wants to be free, man. Absolutely. Uh, so I'll never charge for a class, but I'll charge for, you know, for materials or products associated with that class so that they can then go home and use that knowledge themselves or whatever. Yeah. I'm trying to do like a value for value type of setup here. Like I like money shouldn't stop somebody from learning something in my view. Definitely. Like, so, but Hey, if you found something of value that I, put out, I, I will gladly, you know, take whatever you thought, like if it was worth a dollar to you, I'll take a dollar. If it was worth, I don't know, a million dollars to you, I'd take that too. There's a lot I could do with yep, that, yep. but either way, I'm still going to put it out for free, whether I get a million or nothing, I'm going to keep going. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm all about that. Um, you know, for teaching a fermentation class, you know, you, listed for 35 bucks and you get to take home a jar and some veggies and you know whatever or just come for free with no money and you know learn the processes and hang out with people mm -hmm. in your community and and you know you just don't go home with one or whatever right right so sorry there's a beard here in my mouth gross um usually so dog over here Oh, <laughs> much better. Um, so switching gears just a little bit here, and it mm -hmm. might go, I think it's going to go back to our, the topic that we opened with. What does arable land mean? Yeah, man. So this, this lights my fire big time. Um, you know, and it, it's, it's a big portion of the reason, like I'm so into growing off planet um you know when people do these like 
population projections and like, oh, we only have enough farmland for X X billion people or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like, well, yeah, but that's only the land that you're like working with combines and is like ready to go right now, you know? Um, but if we expand, we're, we're such clever little monkeys, man. <laughs> and, and we can learn so much from this incredible complex world around us. And we can stack these natural systems on top of each other on a piece of land that would never yield to a plow. And 10 years later, you can be feeding a whole neighborhood from that little plot. It's you know, a natural engineering problem, not a, you exactly. know, hey, we need five Earths for the one Earth of population yeah. type of blah, exactly. blah, blah. Like, dude, you need to think way bigger. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a resource management thing and a creativity thing and an innovation thing. And, and I think there's hard times globally ahead. And the good part of that is that, you know, chaos is a ladder man that's like what does that that's mean from, that's from game of thrones it's okay, like my I've favorite never, line never of all time it. chaos is a ladder it's like when we're in the churn and things are hard and difficult you know necessity is the mother of all invention that's when we're gonna get creative mm-hmm. and start doing things differently and unfortunately most people won't be able to really recognize what needs to be done until they're already experiencing like the failure of, of what has been. Um, so it's like, yeah, there's so much arable land, but if everybody on the planet grew an average of 10 or 15% of their own diet, it's like, that's a big what does deal. that translate to as far as like industrial agriculture acreage, you know? Um, that's a 15% reduction in global food needs from patio gardens. Basically you can grow 10% yeah. of your diet on the patio. No problem. Um, it, and so we need to really expand our kind of grasp of like where our food is coming from and how we can make it. And, you know, so many problems in our society can be fixed if people were just like, putting in five hours a week on a, a little porch garden, a little container garden or something, you know? Can you imagine um, what that would do to mental health in addition to? Yeah, just just connecting yourself back to natural systems, no matter what the scale is. Um, you know, uh, five years from now, I would like to be at 80% or more of our of our total diets. Dang, um, that's a big coming from that's a big ask. Coming from either the property itself or hunting and fishing. Um yeah. so you know, we really need to just kind of everybody should grow something, even if it's just uh some cilantro and microgreens, you know, under a light in their kitchen. Um and you know, we're tool users, man. We got these great opposable thumbs and we had this brilliant ancestor who stuck a stick into a termite mound. And dude, we've just been figuring things out like crazy ever since then. Right. And, you know, whether it's realizing like 
oh, I can put this bear skin on and we can live a hundred miles farther north where there's more animals. Or it's like, hey, we have this reusable booster now and we can get stuff to space much, much cheaper. And guess what? The next generation is going to run on renewable fuels. Right. <laughs> and, um, it's just another tool, man. Like, you know, to paraphrase Joe Rogan, like if you have a hammer, you can build a house with it or you can hit yourself in the crotch with it. <laughs> um, Good. Whether it's the Internet or or a molecule that's hiding inside of a plant like or, or a chainsaw, like there's a lot of powerful tools at our disposal and you know, we can screw up and we can destroy our lives with a lot of those tools, uh, whether mm -hmm. it's television or a chainsaw or a molecule, um, or we can build something greater. So that, uh, that goes into a little bit of the next question. So earth as a closed loop system and exo agriculture. What does that mean? You know, what, is that? What, what are those things? Exo agriculture is just agriculture off the planet. Um, okay, I figured that one out on my own. Yeah, but like, so Earth has a closed loop system. I can assume you're also talking about like the little plant in a bottle type. Exactly. Um, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you know, we are in a bottle. We're we're trapped at the bottom of a gravity well, and. Uh, there's one person on the entire planet like who had the vision and the drive to like see the problem with that. <laughs> um, and, you know, we can't get more resources. We can't get more oxygen. We can't get more hydrogen or more carbon or whatever. We're just down here at the bottom of the well. And, if we do get more resources, odds are it's not going to be a good day the way that they're delivered. <laughs> um, right. And, you know, so it's, you know, it's human nature to go climb that mountain. You know, it's human nature to get on this boat and sail to a place you've never seen a picture of because photography hasn't been invented yet. And somebody just told you about it. <laughs> And you're going to put your whole family on this boat and just go for it. And it's like, that's what people do, man. And, you know, there at some point there was somebody who's like, hey, we should, you know, go north and, and feed on all the animals out there. And they're like, it's too cold. You're going to freeze to death. And, you know, he puts a bear skin on and goes and makes it happen and establishes a makes new settlement. shoes. And, and yeah. Exactly. Um, so I don't view space tech any differently from that um you know bill mollison said something really great about like using bulldozers and heavy equipment to establish permaculture settlements and he's like yeah we have these amazing tools like and we're not going to be able to sustain the use of tools like this forever at the rate we're doing it so like let's use them to build something that will last Mm -hmm. uh, and I kind of just, you know, I, that really vibed well with me and I view rockets the same way. It's like the next generation of rocket is fully reusable and runs on methane and oxygen, which are both renewable. Um, it, it's just, 
it's a better hand axe and it's going to give us access to more resources and sure. more security and and it's just the nature of life man we have the capability to go live somewhere else and so life is going to do that whether it's a seed floating across the ocean or you know a, a bug an insect that gets blown by a hurricane like it's going to land somewhere and it's going to try to survive so i think it's so inevitable for sure and it's very exciting and uh i spend a lot of my time thinking about how we're going to grow food um when we do go you know uh elon musk often talks about the importance of becoming a multiplanetary species and i really appreciate that he's updated that uh in recent addresses to a multiplanetary biome uh hmm. which is my goal i don't want to be a multiplanetary species i want to take as much of the biosphere as possible with us because biodiversity equals resilience and the more natural systems we can put together in a, a thriving way uh the more likely that experiment is to work in the long term and so like my picture of space habitats is like there needs to be something growing everywhere light touches um hmm. yeah. you know whether that's like paneling that we can grow algae inside of uh or or just like you know there's so much innovation being done in vertical farming techniques right now it's like anywhere we're using energy to cast light it's like let's grow something there um cuz odds are you aren't using that spot like 24 hours a day you know sure yeah and so like all the walkways should have you know shallow algae tanks coursing beneath them just like growing fuel and and spirulina and stuff like that um and oxygen of course <laughs> right yeah so then what would you tell people that want to get started whether they want to grow in their backyard little patio sub subdivision or want to grow on mars what would you tell tell them um well uh on this planet you know we have this amazing biodiversity all around us and uh mother nature is very forgiving um and a lot of her creations are very resilient so don't overthink it just like start growing something get a bucket and drill a hole in the bottom of it and plant a seed you know put something on your windowsill and and grow something um my my farm guru out in hawaii uh the greatest lesson i learned from him was the wisdom of work uh he was very much like myself in that he wasn't the best planner he wasn't the best like with logistics and all of that uh he's his whole philosophy was just get started like have an idea of the direction you want to go and take your first steps um you can get so hung up on plans especially mm -hmm. if you've just you know finished your permaculture design course and you know you have this perfect picture of of what you want your place to be um don't get all hung up on that go outside start close to the house start working and and the land will will help inform the design um 
you know, our plans have changed. I've been here since November and, and plans and layouts have changed half a dozen times. And it wasn't until the snow started melting and the ground softened up. And I was actually out there, you know, many hours a day working the land that it really like started to come together. And it's like, oh, yeah, obviously that's not going to work. We need to do that over here and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So just get started. Just grow something, man. Get a jar and grow some sprouts. Like, it's you don't even need any yeah. light for that. <laughs> that's kind of true. Yeah. Just microgreens. It's like, yeah. It's so easy and it can salads. totally change your life, you know? I, I firmly believe that if somebody with the standard American diet and standard American lifestyle would just like get a little window box and grow three different, grow some chives, grow some cilantro, you know, grow some microgreens, it would completely change their life and change the world. That's how we do it. Definitely. Not, you know, it'd be great if we could end all subsidies to destructive industrial farming practices and yada, yada, yada. But ultimately, it's like get the individual growing something and and a better world will result. And the more individuals we can get growing more things as quick as possible, like we need that really badly right now. Um, I'm really nervous with what's going on in the world right now. Um, fertilizer prices. I'm on all these farmer groups on social media and mm -hmm. there's people who are just not going to plant anything because they can't afford fertilizer this year or, or diesel is too expensive. So they can't run those big, huge combines, you know, for 12 hours a day. And that's the only way that system works. So, you know, we got to localize, we got to decentralize. Um, and I really struggle like, sharing with people and like here we're like in a very defined context and i'm talking about my passion project and like it, it's kind of easy but you know my whole life i've had trouble like sharing i have this perfect picture inside my head again that's not set in stone it's it's more nebulous you know i've walked around this homestead in every in a million possible configurations in my head and uh, it's so difficult to bring that picture and put it into these like primate mouth noises in, right. in order to put it into somebody else's head. It's so incredibly difficult for me. And uh, so I I just eventually adopted the strategy of like not trying anymore and show versus tell. Um, gotcha. So I want to show people that, you know, you can grow food in places where, you think you can't grow food. Um, you know, we, we can grow food in Antarctica. We can grow food on Mars. Like we have tools, we have electricity, we have engineering skills. Yeah. And Mars is only 0.37 gravity. So those engineering skills are going to go a heck of a lot farther, which is going to be really yeah. fun. Um, yeah, man. Um, don't overthink it. Creative resource acquisition is a big part of it. Like we're on a pretty tight budget here. Um, and we're kind of like cashing out all of our assets to give ourselves the best possible start here. And uh, things like uh, Nextdoor, the app, 
mm-hmm. is amazing. I love it so much. Um, I've been able to barter for stuff. Uh, I barter my labor for fancy materials and whatever. Um, there's an app called Freebies, and that mm-hmm. uh, combs like Nextdoor and OfferUp and Facebook Marketplace for free stuff. And you can like set your radius on it. Yeah. And I've gotten a lot of stuff through there, furniture and tools and That's materials cool. and um obviously Craigslist and stuff. I've gotten a lot of great deals on tools. Um, you know, table saw, circular saw, wheelbarrow, ladders, all the things we need that added up would be thousands of dollars new at the store. Definitely. Um yeah, that, I mean, that's the benefit of being adaptable and creative in a throwaway culture, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, there's a lot of materials at our at our disposal, which is great. So I think I think that's the the biggest like getting started stuff. Um, it's been fun, man. Doing this chicken coop with like zero dollars has like got me all stoked to yeah it's like a challenge like can i actually uh, put in zero yeah and you know you got to balance that because you could get lost on those apps and just start <laughs> amassing stockpiles of materials all over your property and you yep. get away from you really quick yeah um I, I get it so it's like oh i really want that but realistically we're not going to need it until year four or whatever so it's like all right it'll be cheaper now though yeah (laughs) yeah exactly um sorry go ahead no go ahead if you if you got if you got more i'll let's hear it no um i was gonna just plug a couple of heroes um yeah go for it this guy joel uh no not joel jerome osentowski uh he's got this He's got this book called uh, The Forest Garden Greenhouse. And this guy lives in zone 3B in the central Rockies. And he's growing bananas in a tropical greenhouse. Um, And he's developed this really cool technique. He calls it the climate battery, where he's like, he he uses a couple of fans to pump warm air during the day down underground through a series of like perforated pipe manifolds going down four or five feet. And then he reverses the fan flow at night and brings all the warm air back up. He runs this hundred foot, hundred foot by 30 foot greenhouse and says he lights a fire in it like two weeks a year. And that's it. Um, To keep it at like above 50 degrees. Really, really incredible. I forgot. I looked this guy up before our, uh, before our talk here. And it honestly looks like I'll, I'll have a link in the show notes. But this guy looks like he runs like the uh, conservatory, not conservatory. Yeah, uh, Rocky Mountain like, uh, Permaculture something. Yeah, he he runs like, a, uh, a, an organization. Yeah, but I mean, like, just his space looks like it would be. I, I'm the only thing I can relate uh, it to is botanic like the, garden. The minute, yes, thank you. That's exactly yeah, what yeah. I'm thinking of. Yeah, right. um, that's what it looks like, and it's yeah. It's That's amazing. Wild. He's got a tropical greenhouse and a Mediterranean greenhouse um, and uses That's very great. little energy to maintain them, which is very impressive. 
really cool. That's pretty cool. And then yeah. like the godfather of organic gardening, Elliot Coleman. Um, he's got a great uh, winter gardening handbook, uh, the winter harvest handbook. Hmm. Um, and he's doing a lot of really cool, completely unheated stuff in Maine. Um, where he's doing like hoop houses and then inside the hoop house, he's got row covers on everything. So there's like that double layer protection and just like his, his plant timing and varietal selection and, you know, everything is so brilliant and really pushes the boundaries of like what's possible. Like, awesome. There's so much we can do to hack climate zones. And, you know, I think right. so many people just kind of like accept that, they can't do anything if there's snow on the ground or, you know, if it's still going to be in the low thirties for the next month or whatever. Yeah. Um, so those are really amazing resources that have really inspired me. Um, and by next spring, we want to be ready to, to really push the boundaries uh, of our tiny growing season up here. It's crazy. Like 90 day crops are questionable up here. Um, there's definitely, yeah, risk you're of, pushing of, the limit. Yeah. So, uh, uh, we'll see. It'll be fun. Well, let's, let, let's, let's wrap it up there. Um, mm -hmm. we, we can talk a little bit more after the show too. What tell people where they can find you on Twitter and YouTube. You, you just started a new channel. Yeah, um, I hope to have uh, a little intro video up on the farm's YouTube um, very soon. We're not really going public until next year. We're kind of considering this like year zero as far as like farm operations sure. go. Um, but I have been documenting things and uh, I definitely want to, to have a presence there. So it'll be slow going on the Little Pine Farm YouTube channel uh, for probably the next year. But, you know, there'll be updates here and there. Um, I'm a lot more active on Twitter. Uh, maybe stick to just the things I post instead of all my replies. <laughs> um, I can, uh, you know, have a little political fun and cultural fun and, and things like sure. that. But uh, try to never say something to anyone that I wouldn't say to their face and, you know, uh, harassing government officials and agencies is always a grand time so that is true you know, yeah if you like trolling the fda you might like my twitter at exo agriculture there you go they they need a uh, lots more trolling i heard yeah so awesome um, i appreciate you appreciate you being here and uh spending your time here learned a lot had some crazy conversation so uh, I'll have links for all your stuff in the show notes and appreciate everybody for everyone watching, listening. We appreciate it. We'll uh, get this guy some, some subscribers on, on YouTube and some new followers on Twitter. So right on, man. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. This was uh, my first podcast and uh, you made it very painless. I appreciate that. I, I appreciate one. all the crazy talks. Wow, what an interview. Scott is a pretty interesting guy. Um, I, I love his energy. Just I'm, I really want to go visit him sometime. I mean, I, I feel like we vibed very well. Thank you for watching. 
and listening. Please like, subscribe, and most importantly, share this video. Check out our website, farmhoplife.com. Sign up for our email list there to be notified when new videos, interviews, and podcasts are available. You can email me anytime, matt at farmhoplife.com. And I'm always looking for new people to interview. If you'd like to come on to talk about homesteading, farming, food security, homeschooling, just go to farmhoplife.com slash guest, fill out the form, and we'll be in touch. Thank you.